Dear Father, we thank you that you are a Lord and God who is not silent, even though you are immense, infinite, uh, beyond our little minds can begin to imagine or think about. We thank you that you have chosen to speak and to speak clearly, to speak truthfully and faithfully, to speak uh, plainly about all that you are doing in this world. Lord, help us to listen. So work in us that in our hearts and in our minds and also with our wills that we would hear and trust and obey what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you noticed there are some things that no one sings about? There are some things that no one sings about. Now, I'm sure somebody with a really, really good memory might come up with some examples. Uh, or somebody might be tempted to go onto Google. Don't do that now. Smartphones are evil things. Don't do that now. Uh, but apart from comedy, people don't sing about all sorts of things. As far as I know, there aren't many songs about filling in your tax return. I guess there aren't that many songs about fixing up the insurance, the pink slip and the rego of the car. These are all things I did this week. I don't know how many songs about them. I wouldn't be surprised if someone somewhere had mentioned brushing their teeth in a song. But apart from toddlers like my daughter, I can't see many people singing whole songs about dental hygiene. Now, I can in fact think of one classic pop ballad that does mention lining up in the supermarket checkout queue. Uh, But even there, it's not really what the whole song is about. Uh, I was going to say, when I was preparing this talk, I was going to say, people don't sing about tidying up. But then I remembered Mary Poppins singing, A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I think Mary Poppins may help us understand why we sing when we sing at all. Uh, Basically, we sing about things, or at least we sing something, when we feel strongly, when we feel strongly about them. Uh, Most of the music industry is actually based on people wanting to sing about uh, loves that they've either found or lost. Uh, We sing about the things we really love, and sometimes we actually sing about things that drive us up the wall. Mary Poppins, I think, sings about tidying up because the children that she's looking after just hate doing it. Now, today's Bible passage that we're going to listen into and learn from has pretty much only got one instruction. There's only one instruction in all of Isaiah 40 that we just read. And only one application that's actually built into the passage itself. And there, you can see it in Isaiah 42 and verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea with all that fills it. You islands with your inhabitants. Now there's a bunch more commands in verses 11 and 12. But they basically boil down to the same thing. Let them shout. Cry aloud. Sing for joy. Cry out from the mountaintops. Give glory to the Lord. Declare his praise. We've got 
three questions really this morning about Isaiah 42 and that command. Uh, Who is it? Who is it that's supposed to sing this new song? Uh, Why are they going to sing this new song? And how are they going to sing this new song? Very simple questions. The how, the the who, the why, and the how of singing this new song. So let's kick off with who is it is going to sing this new song? Well, let's listen again to verse 10 of chapter 42. Listen to Isaiah. I listen to God speaking there. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Who's to sing? Who's to sing? Well, you who go down to the sea. Uh, You islands and all your inhabitants. Uh, The desert and its cities. They're mentioned there. Kedar and Selah, verse 11. And the islands, they're mentioned again in verse 12. Uh, Who's to sing? Well, Well, You might know, we might not recognize immediately who Kida and Selah are. We might not be sure which wilderness is being described, which sea is being meant. But we get the impression, don't we? It's everywhere. It's everywhere is meant to sing. Whether it's nearby or far away, even to the ends of the earth, whether it's in the ocean or in the desert. Shout it from the mountaintop. Sing this song, Isaiah says. Basically, everybody, everywhere is to sing this song. Do you know, it's, it's actually a, a strange command. It's a very strange command. See, I don't think before the prophet Isaiah, anyone in the unfolding story of the Bible had actually called upon everybody to praise and rejoice in what God has done in quite this way. Uh, Let's not forget that the Old Testament, while it is God's word for us, wasn't actually written first and foremost to us. It's written to God's people Israel first and foremost. God spoke in time and space, first of all, to Adam. And then others like Noah, and especially he spoke to Abraham. God spoke first and foremost to his people Israel, the descendants of Abraham. The unfolding story of the Bible is really the story of how God picked out from of all the people on the planet one man and his family. That's uh, Abraham. Uh, And he chose to save and bless him. Uh, and that family that flows from him. See, and as the story unfolds, you get more and more hints of how God will somehow save and bless more than just the literal descendants of Abraham. Uh, along the way, there are some kind of preliminary or maybe we could call them prototypical moments of salvation. Uh, I guess there's no bigger prototypical moment of salvation then that when God rescues his people who'd been suffering uh, from slavery and suffering in Egypt uh, when he parts the Red Sea for them and sweeps away the Egyptian army 
That's a kind of a moment of salvation. And after God's people, Israel, had been rescued, after Egypt, their oppressor, had been vanquished, what do God's people do after that? They sing. They sing one of the earliest recorded songs. One of the earliest recorded songs in the Bible. They sing a song of praise for what God has done. They sing a song of God's rescuing power in judgment. That's uh, Exodus chapter 15. But, but whose song? Whose song is the song of Exodus 15? The song they sing after the Red Sea. It's a song of those whom God has rescued. It's a song of the saved. And we mustn't forget, it's also quite specifically Israel's song. It's not some sort of generic song of some sort of generic rescue by some generic God. It's a specific song of a specific rescue by a specific, a specific rescue of a specific people by a specific God. I will sing to Yahweh, or I will sing to the Lord, as our translations have it. I will sing to my God, my Father's God, they sing in Exodus. Uh, they sing to God, you will lead the people you have redeemed, and the nations will hear and tremble. Uh, the song that they sing at the Exodus actually inspires, and it's, these words are used in, in Exodus itself, anguish. Trembling, terror and dread in the nations that surround Israel. Uh, the song of the sea, the song of Exodus 15, is a song of salvation for Israel. But it's a song of woe for the peoples who are opposed to them. Back to Isaiah. Okay, that's where we're supposed to be this morning. And here it's a new song. It's a new song, we're told, at chapter 42 and verse 10. Who should sing it? But now, it's not just Israel. Now it's Kedar and Selah. Actually, these are non-Israelites. They're not Gentile, non-Israelites towns and cities. Now it's the desert and the sea. Now it's even the islands. Uh, you may or may not have been wondering about those islands mentioned in verses 10 and 12. Uh, what islands are these, these islands? Where are they? Uh, who are they? Well, back in Isaiah's day, 700 years before Christ came, uh, 700 years before Christ, the islands were they were the edge. They were the edge of Israel's known world. They were the lands and peoples right at the margin of Israel's knowledge. Uh, the Bible experts and Bible historians tell us they were probably the islands and peoples in the far west of what we would call Turkey uh, today. Uh, the islands of Greece, some of them, in the Aegean. Uh, the point being, though, in Isaiah chapter 42, that these were strange people who lived far away, who knew nothing about Israel and Israel's God, the Lord. But even in the virtual terra incognita of the islands 
People are no longer meant to be ignorant. Instead, they should be singing and singing to the Lord, to Israel's God. But why? That's, that's the second question this morning. But why? Why are the islands going to sing this new song? Uh, well, Isaiah 42 is really part of a longer part of Scripture that starts at Isaiah 40. Uh, Isaiah 40, uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, uh, is uh, a message of comfort. It's a message of comfort for God's people uh, undergoing the pain and confusion of being in exile. Isaiah is given the prophecy so that when Israel go into exile, they know that God will come to their aid. God's word to them in Isaiah 40, verse 1, famous words, comfort, comfort, my people. God's word is a word of, of uh, encouragement uh, to his people, that, that God was still sovereign, still in control, in power. Uh, let's remember, of course, that it's the descendants of Abram, the tribes of Israel, who are the people of the Lord. Um, the nations around Israel, and especially the Babylonians, the dastardly Babylonians, who have taken them captive, well, they're not seen as friends, as uh, fellows on the same journey with them. Uh, in Isaiah 40, as part of his word of encouragement, the Lord says, the nations, they're like a drop in the bucket, a speck of dust on the scales. They're as nothing, as nothing and emptiness. You see, the, the islands can have no claim. The islands have got no claim on God. In fact, the defeat of the islands might seem to be part of God's people's own rescue. Israel's rescue might mean God defeating the nations around them. In the chapter uh, immediately before 42, chapter 41, um, uh, the islands aren't called there to sing, uh, but the islands are actually called to Silence, verse 1 of chapter 41 of Isaiah. Be silent before me, islands, and let peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, let them testify, let them come together for trial. In fact, as Isaiah 41, the chapter immediately before, as it unfolds, it's a message of how God will use the great Persian Empire uh, to defeat nations and to change the world scene, and as a result, a kind of rescue for Israel. In fact, it says in verse 5 of chapter 41, 41 5, it says, The islands have seen it and fear. The ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward. Each helps the other and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman encourages the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer spurs on him who strikes the anvil. He says of the welding, It's good. He nails down the idol. That's what they're building. That's what they're making. An idol so that it will not topple. See, the, the, the islands... Uh, and the ends of the earth are afraid. They're afraid in Isaiah 41 of what God, the Lord, is doing. And as they're afraid, they turn to, idol to idolatry. Uh, but to his own people, God says, uh, verse 8, 
But you, O, o Israel, my servant, chapter 41, verse 8, but you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and have I not chosen you uh, and not rejected you? Uh, do not fear, verse 10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It all sounds a little bit like what was going on in the Exodus all over again. It sounds like that in the, the latest unfolding of the story, God will repeat the kinds of things he did at the Exodus. Why, why then should the islands sing? Why, why should they sing for joy? Shouldn't they be trembling just like the nations were back in Exodus 15? Uh, the rest of Isaiah 40, 41, it's a, it's a warning to the nations about the worthlessness of their gods and idols and how God both speaks and acts to rescue his own people. Why should the island sing? Shouldn't they be wailing? Well, come along with me to Isaiah 42 and verses 1 to 7. Isaiah 42, 1 to 7. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out uh, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord, a God, the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it and gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who live in those who sit in darkness. See, what's the reason? What's the reason for the island song? Why should the island sing? Well, it's, it's a person. That's the reason it's a person. My servant, uh, the one whom I have chosen, as the Lord says in verse 1. Uh, what will this servant do? Well, amongst lots of other things, what will this servant do? He'll do these things. He will bring justice. He will open the eyes of the blind. He will free captives. He will release those who sit in darkness, as verse 7 puts it. You see, the worthless, as nothing, nations and islands, the dust on the scales of eternity, as Isaiah 40 put them, they're now the subjects of God's salvation. 
the islands, the islands and the nations who should receive judgment, the kind of thing that chapter 41 has been going on about, are now the objects of God's love and receive not some sort of retributive judgment, but actually God's restorative justice. They don't, they don't get the condemnation they deserve, but instead they get put right and fixed up by the God who could, and who should by rights, judge them. Not only Israel, but the nations, the islands, will be saved, according to Isaiah 42. You see, this person, this servant, as he's called, he's a covenant, uh, verse uh, 6. He's a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. You see, for God's people, Israel, he is a covenant. He's the one who underwrites and fulfills and completes all of God's promises to them. All the promises that God has made to Israel in his unfolding story, all the way through Abraham and Moses and through to David. He's a covenant for the people. But for those of those of us, I was about to say, but, but for those anyway who are uh, not by birth God's people, this servant is a light, a bondage breaker who frees them and enables them to see. No wonder verse 4 says, the islands will hope. They will hope for his instruction. In his law, our translation has it here, in his law, the islands will put their hope. Well, who is this servant? Uh, earlier in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah had prophesied, had pointed forward to a new king, a new king in David's line. And now, throughout chapters 40 to 55, he'll paint in clearer and clearer pictures the portrait of God's servant. A servant who will ultimately suffer and die in order to save his people. And not just his own people, Israel, but others beyond his people as well. Uh, This is the portrait, of course, of Jesus, of Nazareth. Uh, 700 years later, Jesus will take up this portrait and use it to explain that he indeed is the one who through suffering will bring many to glory. Joel was very clever and he picked an extra Bible reading for us from Luke chapter 4. And of course, that's what Jesus is doing. He's picking up this portrait that's steadily being painted throughout these chapters of the servant. And Jesus applies it to himself. So, so we've kind of asked the kind of, uh, the what should they be doing? And the who should be doing it? Well, how are they doing? How are the islands going to sing this new song? Well, I guess there are kind of two answers. There are two answers to, how, uh, to the how question that's uh, here in Isaiah 42. And I think there's an answer that, that's really spelled out in the chapter. And there's an answer that kind of flows out more from how the whole Bible, what the whole Bible teaches. You see, Isaiah 42 goes on to say, after calling the islands and the ends of the earth to sing, it says in verse 13, the Lord will march out like a mighty man. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. And then the Lord speaks. 
For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills, and I will dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known, along unfamiliar paths. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But to those who trust in idols, those who say to images, you are our gods, they will be shamed and turned back in utter, uh, they will be turned back in utter shame. How, how will the nations sing this new song? Well, first and foremost, because God will do it. God will save his people by defeating whatever it is that holds them in its grip. Isaiah 42 sings pretty much the same kind of lyrics as Exodus 15. The same images are there. God is a warrior of earth-shaking kind of power who leads his people to salvation. Of course, these are metaphors, word pictures, just as much as they were metaphors and word pictures back in Moses' day. But what they're doing is depicting the reality of God defeating with all his cosmic power everything that binds and blinds the world. God will do it. That's how people will sing. The second answer, I think, is suggested here. In Isaiah 42. But I think it takes the rest of the Bible, and especially the New Testament, to spell it out. In verses 16 and 17, right at the end of the passage we read, on page 718, 16 and 17, there's a a dividing line, a dividing line. God does one thing for one camp, and another thing for the other camp. For those who are led by him, there's salvation, verse 16, for those who cling to their idols, who refuse to follow God and his servant, there will be everlasting disgrace, verse 17. See, as verse 4, which I mentioned earlier, put it, in his teaching, the islands have put their hope. In his teaching, the islands have put their hope. How will the islands sing? Why will the islands sing? They'll sing if they hear and put their trust and put their hope in the Lord Jesus. You see, Isaiah 42 is a word from God for all of us. It's a word for us, even if we know that we're far from God and far from his people. Uh, Yes, God chose a people, but he meant for the rescue that he was going to bring about for that people, uh, that 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 rescue would be a people for all, uh, that rescue would be a rescue for all peoples, whomever they are, uh, wherever they are, whenever they are. See, God is in the business of opening blind eyes of people in every time and culture. God is in the business of releasing from bondage those who've been oppressed by their own sin. And he's done it. He's done it through 
the Lord Jesus, his servant. We need, all of us, we need to put our hope in what Jesus taught. We need to put our hope in what Jesus taught about himself uh, and what he's taught about us as well. You know? We need to hear what he has to say to us. Jesus is the one, as Luke 4 points out to us, as was read earlier, he's the one who's come to open blind eyes and release captives. Isaiah 42 is a word uh, for those of us who already know that we trust uh, in God through Christ. One of the things that we must go away with is, do we remember day by day, do we keep on reminding ourselves day by day that the Lord Jesus is our hope? Do we put our hope in his instruction in what he teaches? Uh, Is uh, and is the new hope that we have in and through Jesus, is that a cause of joy? It should be a cause of joy in our lives day by day. Do we sing salvation songs with hearts full of thanksgiving to God? I don't necessarily mean that means that you're humming hymns day by day in the car. That's not a bad thing to do. Uh, but is the truth of the gospel singing inside your souls day by day? We need to be reminded that he is our rescuer, even though we're part of the islands and nations that didn't deserve a rescue at all. Uh, Isaiah 42, by the way, is a, a word for every islander and a word for every end of the earth. And shouldn't we be full of joy that God saved even those who are outside his people? Outside, people who are outside the scope of his promises and covenants. I'm not sure which racial groups, ethnic groups you're all from. I'm sure there's quite a few different ones here uh, at, at Chatswood. I, so I mentioned the Welsh. I'm Welsh. The Welsh. The Chinese. Even New Zealanders. We're all the ends of the earth from Isaiah's point of view. But we should be rejoicing that God is a warrior who fights for us, who fights for you, who has sent his servant son to rescue you. Isaiah 42 is a word for God's people uh, uh, in another way. We need to remember that we shouldn't confine the promise and word of God to just us. We have God's people, but his salvation is for all peoples. Isaiah 42, I think, is a a key moment in the unfolding of God's global purpose of taking the gospel to the world. Isaiah 42 challenges us to sort of say, well, what what are we doing in making sure that this word of the servant is getting forth to the islands, to the ends of the earth? Yes, it's reached us, but is it going to stop with us? Shouldn't this word continue to go forth and spread beyond us. Isaiah 42 calls upon us to sing. Calls upon us to speak words that others can hear about the salvation that God has done. And that word and that that, that salvation and the word about that salvation needs to go to the islands, to the very ends of the earth. And that's why we've always got to be concerned for the sake of 
the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ spreading throughout this globe. We need to trust that gospel ourselves. We need to be rejoicing in that gospel day by day ourselves. But we also need to see the importance of that gospel continuing to go forth to others as well. I pray that we do this in Christ's name. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the fact that you did not leave the islands and nations in their darkness and bondage, but through the gift of your Son, you brought someone into this world who you powerfully used to break the bondage of sin and evil, and through faith in whom we have salvation. And Lord, Lord, we pray that whoever we are this morning, that we would trust in that Lord Jesus Christ, your mighty servant who suffered and died for us, but whom you raised from the dead. Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us who trust in you just to be reminded of the amazing salvation that is found in Jesus. A salvation that we didn't deserve. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to be people uh, where the message doesn't just stop, but we'd be people in whom the message lives, but also spreads to others throughout the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.